All right, Heather. A through Z. Mm, J. I think you picked the one fucking letter I don't have something for. Um, I could spin it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a correction to make from our last episode about uh, when I talked about uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and The Suicide Squad. I called both of them flops, and technically, financially speaking, neither one of them were flops. Financially speaking, both of them, both of those movies did uh, well enough to be considered successful. But mm. in a lot of eyes, though, in, especially in Warner Brothers' eyes, they were not. Batman versus Superman was expected to make a billion dollars. It made seven hundred. Now, I think that was on a two hundred and fifty or two hundred and seventy five million dollar budget. Might have been three hundred million, I don't remember, but uh that would it, that would be enough to make it financially successful. But they were ex- they put that much money into it expecting a billion back. And they didn't. You know, same with Suicide Squad. They thought Suicide Squad was going to be like the next Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, just $800, $900 million just printing off fucking checks. And it wasn't, you know. So that is another thing that is considered when 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 I talk about things being financially viable or financially successful. You also have to look at the expectations that the studio has set for it, too. Very rarely are they spending three hundred million dollars to just you know have the movie make six hundred fifty million and they made fifty million bucks. They're not spending three hundred million to make fifty million in profit. You know, they're spending three hundred million because they're expecting a billion. That's what they do with this stuff. You know, so when you have a movie like Fast X. With a $750 million budget. They're expecting $1.8 to $2 billion in return for that. They're not expecting, you know, four, you know, $1.4, $1.5 billion. They're expecting higher. They're expecting, you know, top 10 highest grossing movies of all time. So, yeah, when that movie clocks in at a solid, like, $400 million, yeah, that's real bad. Uh, but yes, that's, well, yes, they were financially successful. They were not what that was expected of them and they were critically panned. And that was enough to really cause DC to go in a tailspin when it came to their constant changes and, and reworkings of the DCEU that we've experienced all the way to this year. So that is a correction I need to make. Um, in other news, this was something I meant to mention last week, but I forgot. Uh, Barbie is the number one movie of 2023. So. I saw that. Yep. Just fucking murdering. Love it. Uh, 
this is not movie related at all, but just a weird piece of information I found out. Uh, so everybody knows the song uh, Informer by Snow. Um, I do not. Uh, you or maybe do. I just don't know that I know it. Okay. You do. Uh, whatever you know yeah, okay okay yes, yes. okay uh, weirdly <laughs> enough that whole that nailed it that 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 licky boom boom now part uh everybody thinks that's like talking about something sexy that apparently is actually jamaican slang for him talking about how he's gonna kill a snitch that put him in prison what? Yeah. What? Wow. It's not about eating booty. No. I thought it was about eating booty. No. No, it was about that's the song's informer. The song tells you in its title it's about a snitch. Yeah, it's about an informer. Yeah. Yeah. That so song he... is about how he's gonna get out of jail and fuck up the person that informed on him. Because okay, he did that's true. He really did like have a trial and was like uh was sentenced to go to prison. He recorded that song and then went to jail. He didn't even know he was like a successful artist when it was happening. That's wild. Wow. I never knew that. But honestly, it makes so much sense because when somebody snitches on you, you're never like, I want to eat their butt. You're more like, yuck, you're a snitch. I don't like you. Yeah. That, like, you know, that was one of the most confusing things about everything. It's, it's like, he's talking about eating ass. Why is this song called Informer? Is he just, is he the informer? Because he's informing the ladies. He is going to eat their asses. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be an unheard of thing. Yeah. That's what I thought. You know, hey, you know, telegram, I'm going to eat it. You know, I thought it was more like that. No. Oh. Just a nice way of him letting them know, hey, <laughs> this is an option you have with me. You know, but <laughs> now it, it actually makes a lot more sense. Man, that's aggressive. I don't know if I like it. Yes, it's like it's a crazy violent song. If you now like when you go look at it, like, yeah, that's crazy. Um, wow. And and one crazy bit of news also, uh, on October thirteenth, a documentary about Taylor Swift's Eras tour is coming out. Uh, went on yeah. pre-sale tickets went on sale recently. And it is now in the top 10 single day ticket sales of all time. Um, nice. And for AMC, it is the highest amount of pre-sale tickets they've ever sold for a movie. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, though, because even on some morning shows and even some sports shows, they're talking about that. And people are talking about, yep, going to go see it and all of this kind of stuff. So I'm not gonna lie, I, I, I'm super stoked. <laughs> You're like, I got my tickets. Uh, I was gonna wait till closer to when the movie comes out to do that. Apparently, I can't wait that long because it's gonna be sold out for nine months straight. Apparently, I need to fucking get my tickets now. 
for like June of next year. But I, I'm very stoked about this movie. Because I, I wasn't able to go to her heiress tour. Uh, I, I, I was able to go see her when she was doing her 1989 tour. Great fucking show. Just great. And, and, and one of the reasons why I love pop music is every pop show I've been to, that shit sounds like it's coming off a fucking album. Like it sound, it's like CD quality audio live. You know, it's just fucking perfect. You go to a lot of rock shows or hip hop shows and stuff like that. Audio is so hit or miss on those types of shows. Even huge bands have some jacked up audio sometimes. It just sounds like a mess. Pop music, that shit is just expertly engineered to sound fucking great every time you go to one of those shows. So, I well, love you'll be shit. happy to know that when Metallica came to Dallas, it was hidden. I knew. I just know you would be happy to know that it was hidden by the. I was. I was. Which is really weird because you're also admitting it sounded like shit. Because you're no, saying I mean, it like sounds it was hidden, like it was hidden the spot, like yeah, it was hidden. You're the, saying it sounds like you know it great was Metallica, which is still shit. Oh come on, dude! Don't be that way, man. How many God, songs from Saint really Anger are. did they play, Justin? Enough, which is none, because it's soft. So they didn't even play their hits. <laughs> yes, they did. You're going to Metallica. And you're you're getting B-list songs. You're getting B-sides only. Man, you would have enjoyed it so much. You would have sat there with your arms folded at first, but about three songs in, you would have opened, you would have unfolded your arms and opened yourself up to the rock. That is Metallica. So and you're you saying, Justin, like, man, you went, I'm so glad I came here. I'm a changed person. I don't believe they suck anymore. So Justin, you're saying you went to a Metallica concert and you didn't even get to hear the greatest line that Metallica has ever written lyrically with I'm madly in anger with you. And you're saying it was a good show. I don't believe you. Man, you really are some kind of monster. Uh-huh. You see what I did there? Yeah. And I revel in it. What, are, what even are you? Maybe I'm saying anger. Maybe they wrote that whole album about me. <laughs> Maybe you are. Heather, you would have loved it. You would have rocked out. Especially child you that liked the uh the, the burger nuggets. <laughs> you would have mm, right. you would have rocked out. Child you would have been would have okay. loved it. Okay. She would have gone to the show and she would have been like, Man, I can't wait to listen to all these B B side songs <laughs> before I go eat my chicken sticks. <laughs> but 
that I may or may not like because I don't remember. I think I'm just convinced Child Heather is probably my spirit animal because she <laughs> would, because Child Heather likes all the things I like. Child Heather likes Metallica. She likes PK. <laughs> Love you make child me sound like much cooler than I actually probably was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm okay with it. Just keep going. Tell me what kind of child I was. I will. I will accept this. <laughs> He's like, but you adult like Heather on the other hand hates me. She's my enemy. right. Adult Heather is definitely <laughs> a no go. <laughs> <laughs> I am so I just picture you so cool. Like, you know, your family is like, hey, child Heather, you want to go on a speedboat? And you're like, sure, you know. I just imagine. <laughs> that's yes. It's like it's like we're one mind, you know. It's like you, you were there or something. Yes. Yeah. Even the part about your parents, for some reason, referring to you as child Heather. <laughs> but yeah. It has to be that way. That's how I've. That's how I envisioned the, it went. It's the accurate way that it was. Yes. I'm not going to lie, guys. I I kind of wish we could just talk about Child Heather for another 45 minutes and call it an episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't really want to move on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of sad that ultimately we have to. This is the hard part, guys. And you, and you didn't even tell them the good news that Child Beetlejuice, or Child Beetlejuice, that the dwarf comedian Beetlejuice is still alive. You didn't even give right. the good news. Mm. The good James. That, that, is, that is the best news of this podcast, honestly, when it comes to anything Beetlejuice related. Comedian and actor Beetlejuice is still alive. There we go. Isn't that great, Rest guys? easy, fans. And that is the single best thing I could ever say about anything Beetlejuice related ever. Damn. Want to pivot All to the movie now? <laughs> yeah. All you listeners out there, you aren't you excited to figure out what my position might be about the oh so mysterious Beetlejuice? Surely I haven't yes. given anything away. <laughs> Here's our thing. We've settled into our feelings. Somebody will listen to me. Nobody knows anything but you. Alright. Are you ready? Yes. Come on. Cinema Slayers. Slayers. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight we're going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with the old movie Beetlejuice. We will go recommendations, or we will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around in both audio and video formats, if you so require. With all that, I'm going first. We did it. We did a review of a movie 
couple of years ago. I don't even remember the name of the movie. Is it like The Turning or something like that? Uh, yep. We also did one on a movie called Hansel and Gretel. Or it was Gretel and Hansel. I'm sorry. That was Gretel and Hansel. It was reversed for that movie. And I said I had never seen movies that so perfectly encapsulated the definition of mid. It's because I hadn't watched Beetlejuice in 12 years. And I refuse to accept that anybody that says they love this movie has actually watched this movie recently. Because it is the definition of mid. This is the movie that all mid movies, like their their bar has been set at. This is the original OG 50% movie. This movie does nothing particularly well or particularly bad. For every bad scene, there's a good scene. It just is a perfectly balanced yin and yang of mediocrity. Just creating this perfectly mixed black and white gray circle. Not too dark, not too light. Just the epitome of gray. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to drop the ball now because I just can't wait to uh, bring this up. Uh, do you want to know a really cool behind-the-scenes fact about this movie? Sure. Shoot. Yes. Uh, the, the, the father in this movie, I believe he's played by Jeffrey Jones, if I'm remembering his name correctly. I am also looking it up while I am saying this slightly spacing it out just enough to help me make sure. Yes, it is Jeffrey Jones. Um, he's also a registered sex offender. Bam. Thank you. And good night, everybody. <laughs> yeah. And that'll do it. Just under 20 minutes. We've done it. Shortest episode ever. <laughs> yeah. In 2002, wow. he was arrested and charged with violating California Penal Code Section 311.4, use of a minor to perform prohibited acts. He subsequently pled no contest to the charge of in, inducing a 14-year-old boy to pose for sexually explicit photo, photos and was sentenced to five years probation in order to register as a sex offender and undergo counseling. And there was also a misdemeanor charge for child pornography that was dropped as a part of that deal. In 2009, he pled guilty to a felony charge of failing to update his information as a registered sex offender and was sentenced to three years and 250 uh, hours of community service. This is a real bummer. Wow, what a way to start this thing off. And I knew that going into this movie. So it yeah. just makes it, I forgot he was in this movie and then I saw him and I go. Oh, that guy. <laughs> is it, is that the sex pest <laughs> from Ferris Bueller's day out or day off or whatever the fuck that movie is called? I was like, it is, it is the sex pest. 
So lovely. So very lovely. Wow. So then essentially, I guess the Beetlejuice character might be just based off of him in real life. Who knows? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> just throwing that out there. And does well, it anyway. make it a little more awkward <laughs> that he played a uncle in the Stuart Little movie? Oh, just stop it. And weirdly enough, he was also <laughs> in the movie The Pest. Hmm. So. So he had done a, quite a few Good movies stuff. before he was apprehended. He's done quite a few movies since he was apprehended. Oh. So he was arrested in 2002. Uh, let's just say the, 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 that's all the way at the end of 2002. He was also in Deadwood, which was all filmed after 2002. Uh, he was in a movie called Who's Your Daddy? Filmed in 2007. He was in a movie called Hemingway and and Gellhorn. 10.0 Earthquake, Seven Days in the Deadwood movie. All of those things after he was arrested and convicted of all that. And some of those after he was arrested again for not doing the shit he was supposed to do. So. Oh, boy. It is delightful. But um, because I have already started this too, while you guys are going, I'm going to look up more details on all the shit he did. Because I don't think it's brought up enough. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Beetlejuice is a weird pervert that is very rapey throughout the entire movie. Just awkwardly rapey, you know, as <laughs> 80s comedies were. If your 80s comedy didn't at least have one rape joke in it, was it really a comedy made in the 80s? Ugh, yeah. One other big problem I have with this movie is This movie feels incredibly dated. Like, it doesn't have a timeless quality to it. It doesn't have a universal quality to it. It just feels dated. And I think part of that is because when it comes to how the movie is presented time-wise, it doesn't do anything uniquely related to its time period to add a nostalgic quality to it. Even though I am not a fan of nostalgia, those end up making a little bit more sense for me. You know, a movie I do love is 1985's The Last Dragon. That movie also feels like it's the entire decade of the 80s crammed into a single movie. You can feel and sense every eight ball of cocaine they did writing and making that movie. All of the fashion is inherently 80s. The music is inherently 80s. Everything about that 
eases yeah. the 80s. So it ends up having almost a, a time capsule quality to it. This movie aesthetically looks like a movie that was made maybe sometime between 1987 and 1994. The music in it is from decades before it. There's not even like an 80s song in this movie. You know, you and the only way you can really kind of piece together where this movie like would kind of be dated is the somewhat goth chic attire that Winona Ryder's character uh, has because that is kind of a uniquely late 80s, early 90s style of goth. Like that Victorian goth. You know, outside of that, there is nothing about this movie that gives it a timeless quality or a time capsule type quality. It, Like I said, so it ends up feeling old. It feels dated. It feels unremarkable when it comes to anything like that. With all that being said, the acting performances aren't terrible in this movie. Michael Keaton is a great little, you know, demon ghost thing. I'm hoping in the sequel that's coming out within the next couple of years, uh, he keeps some of the qualities like the personality, but maybe just, you know, 100% less rapiness. You know, keep the energy, keep the menace, keep all that, just lose the rapey. Um, Alec Baldwin was just kind of fine in this movie. I, Gina Davis was great to me. I love Gina Davis. Uh, Catherine O'Hara, I mean, she's utterly fantastic in almost everything she does. The woman True. is gold. You know, the facial expressions and the body language she is doing when they're doing the banana song, but it's being forced upon them. She is amazing. She's the best one by far. Yeah. She has this. That that was one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. I think. And, was it, that. and it's because of her. Because she is uniquely able to like control her body and her face to where she is looking concerned and bewildered and slightly frightened and all of those things. But while also completely committing to mouth syncing that like, you know, lip syncing that uh, song, you know, better than any other character in that scene. Like she is the one that does that with this finesse and nuance and expertise. Because she is a fucking goddess when it comes to comedic shit like that. And if it wasn't for things like that in this movie, this, it, it, it takes that, it takes all of that shit to make this ultimately end up just being fucking mid. That's how lackluster and mediocre the rest of the movie is. That you have got an almost iconic performance from her. Just, it, it, it's from her. She is a comedy icon herself. And she is giving an iconic performance. And all it can do is elevate the drudgery and boringness and just blah that is oozed out from every other scene in this movie to mid. Which to me only solidifies more of how great she is. 
That's all I got. Uh, Justin, what about you? All right. So as I was watching this movie, it, it dawned on me more and more that maybe my fondness for the Beetlejuice character is in the cartoon series that I used to watch. You're kind of speaking truth there, Justin. Like, it was funny because when this was voted on and it won the vote and everything, I I wouldn't say I was excited, but we'll just say I was looking forward to it because I was like, man, I remember Beetlejuice being kind of fun and him and... You know, uh, the Renona character, uh, I forget her name. De- Lydia. What is her name? Delia. Yes. I was like, yeah, you know, him and Delia, you know, I remember them being kind of like this odd couple buddy. Lydia. Yeah, Lydia. L-Y-D-I-A. Oh, I read the wrong name. Sorry. Yes, I'm seeing it now. <laughs> Oops. I read Captain O'Hara's uh, name. Um, but yeah. Lydia and I was like okay I remember Beetlejuice and Lydia and they were like the this kind of odd couple buddies and they're gonna go on these adventures and stuff and I was thinking about the cartoon so I think somewhere in my mind I was thinking this movie was gonna be similar to that and then I got to the movie and I am 30 minutes into this movie and I'm asking, where is Beetlejuice? Like, I I remember him being in here. Like, I remember, I know he's here. I know that's what was advertised. And by the time it got to Beetlejuice, I paused it. And did you guys realize that 40, almost 45 minutes of this movie goes without him? Yep. I noticed that too this time around. That... That's felt. half the movie. I mean, yeah, that's half. That's half. That's half the movie without him. So then it, it made me think, and of course, whenever Beetlejuice does come in, Michael Keaton is really doing, uh, he's doing a good job. He does come in with some charisma. He's acting his tail off as the Beetlejuice character. And and it's starting to dawn on me why people must have found that so endearing and found that so um, wonderful at the time because you had to go half of the movie without him. <laughs> and so then by the time he comes, he is on the screen. It feels like it feels like he's more of a big deal than he is because of how he was introduced in this film. I think that that weight was a mistake. I think he definitely needed to be in it a lot earlier because I don't know about you guys, but some of the jokes and the dated references and some of the like melodrama going on with the family and stuff, it just wasn't holding me like it must have in the past. Like I was cool with all the characters but they weren't interesting enough to me to carry half of the movie like it did. I just think he needed to well, be introduced way faster. And with all that, that to me is what drug out about this movie is I don't hate the characters, but I hate 
everything that they're doing with those characters for the first half of the movie. I'm just like, like, I already kind of like them. Like, why, why are you trying your best to hold them? Why, why are you holding them back? Yeah. Because when it starts, everybody's pretty charming and you know, the movie starts relatively well. Like with with them being a couple and everything and dying and then the whole and then them realizing that they're dead and trying to figure it out. And there's this book and they're like, man, what is this book about? And them trying to figure I I will give the movie that I really like the way it started. And it was a very interesting idea with these two people being these ghosts. And all of a sudden, these other people are moving into the house and they're like, okay. We need to try to scare them and get them out of the house because we want them out. Out. It, it's not the worst premise. It, it's not. And then the younger girl kind of con- is being able to see him and connecting with them before the the her parents do and all of that stuff. You know, the dark goth girl sees them. Like I, I just I don't think that it was bad really. Whenever it was sort of developing the story and the concept and look these are the characters and this is the premise that we're going to have but it's sort but like you're saying sterling once it established everything i think it was interesting and then it stays sort of in this first ish act like beginning of second act place waiting on beetlejuice to arrive and it doesn't move until Beetlejuice arrives, which and, is 45 minutes into the movie. And narratively speaking, I think that that's why this movie ends up feeling so bogged down is the first act is half the movie. Yeah. Half yeah. the movie is it the is. first act. So you get all the introductions, you get all the stuff. And since it stays there, there's no movement, there's no growth, there's no nothing. And I, so, yeah, and I, I guess that part of it didn't click. But, yes, that is exactly what the problem is. Like, you bring it up, the first act comes, and it stays. Like, yeah, the first act is the first half of the movie. So then you get acts two and three crammed into the second half of the movie. It goes at a weird blistering pace for the rest of the movie that ends up feeling wrong. Like it feels weird. Like, yeah, because there's no balance jointed. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. And, and so that's what essentially is what happens is that we stay in the first act and then Beetlejuice is introduced. But now we have to introduce him. The, there has to be a mission. There's something that he has to do. And then there has to be conflict. And then there has to be resolution. And, and it comes at such a pace and, 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 and the movie is, and Beetlejuice is such a zany sort of fast moving character with the delivery of everything that I guess they felt like this pace is going to match the Beetlejuice character. But I feel like the cons of that though, is that by the time we got here, you're drained because th- that first half was so so you're 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 kind of leaning on Beetlejuice to be the ultimate pick me up, and maybe that's why this worked back when it came out 
because by the time Beetlejuice is on screen, he's like a lifesaver. He's like the life preserver. He's like the what do you call those things when you de- when you're about to die and they shock you? The um, defibrillator. Yeah, the defibrillators. That's what he is to this movie. Like it gets to that forty. It gets halfway through, and you are about to flatline, and then Beetlejuice comes in, boom, and then we're like, oh, okay, you know, I'm back up again, and maybe at the time with this sort of comedy and this sort of rapey humor and the and the wise cracking back and forth and him appearing on the ceiling and then down below and then all of this stuff i'm sure at the time that was so energetic and exciting and it was like oh man beetlejuice is really putting life in this movie so i can see maybe why it was successful at that time but today <laughs> The the rapey humor doesn't land like it used to. It just doesn't. It doesn't feel like, oh, look at Beetlejuice groping these women and trying to look under dresses. This is so funny and endearing. Ha, ha, ha. I'd be doing the same thing if I were him. It it don't feel like that right now, dog. Now you're just like, oh, that's a little uncomfortable. Oh, that's, um, hmm. And then he goes to a whorehouse. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't remember any of this. Like, I'm sitting there going, this is not the Beetlejuice I remember. And it just dawned on me more and more because that's the cartoon, Jastin. It, it, it wasn't this. And, and, and even like at the beginning, just to quickly go back to the beginning for just a second, even at the beginning of this movie, when they're, when I'm hearing the Beetlejuice theme, I'm like, you know, I like it, but it's nowhere near as catchy or interesting or fun as the cartoon was. And interestingly enough, that is a microcosm for this film. Like, I really wish that it was the formula of the cartoon where they were him and Lydia are these buddy. They're more like a but it's a buddy thing. And she's his only friend. You know, she's the only one who gets Beetlejuice. She's the only one who understands his quirky, weird-ass self. And they go on these adventures, and he's trying to con people. It's still kind of the same Beetlejuice, you know. He comes off as endearing, but ultimately he's trying to con you. But it's Lydia who's kind of the voice of reason. And it's like, okay, calm down, Beetlejuice. You know what I'm saying? That's why the cartoon works. Here he's a hero, but he's a bit, but, but we, but, but his intentions are not right. So he's a, a, so there's a part where he's the hero because the characters need, because certain characters need him in that moment, but really he's not a hero because he's the villain because he has ulterior motives and intentions. And so then we wind up sort of getting rid of him too. It's so weird in how it resolves. And and it just made me at the end go, what did I love about this movie? Like, like why did I find, did I ever find, I was like questioning my past and going, did I ever like this? Like, did I ever find this um, 
great or awesome or endearing that I ever find this character endearing, this character endearing. And I just, it was hard to imagine that this would be the Beetlejuice that I fell in love with that segued into the cartoon. You know, I'm now questioning, did I see the cartoon before I saw this movie? Or did I see the movie before I saw the cartoon? I Now I'm like wondering what order I saw it in, because I feel like that would have definitely impacted how I saw this. So, but overall, there are some funny scenes. Like we talked about the daylight come scene when everybody is singing the song and uh, being controlled. And that is one of the best scenes of the movie. And you're right. The way that the people were acting and some of the facials and the dancing, that got a laugh out of me. I did laugh at that part. And there was every now and then a Beetlejuice wisecrack or something he would say would kind of get a chuckle out of me. And I just got a kick out of Michael Keaton. He seemed to be having fun. And some of that energy is uh, contagious in the film. But ultimately, I do fall more in the middle, like you're saying, Sterling. It felt just like none of it really elevated this to great. This is definitely not one where I'm like, oh, man, going back to it, it still holds up. Like, I do think there are some good things about it. The premise is good. The story is good, almost to where, you know, I don't wish for reboots a lot. But I think if there was any movie that could be a a concept and a story that could be rebooted and maybe updated to today and we make some different choices with Beetlejuice, I could almost see this being an awesome reboot movie, you know, because I think if you make some different choices, you make Beetlejuice less rapey, you do the odd couple buddy cop thing with him and Lydia, you might have a, a solid reboot of this movie. I, I just have a feeling that's what the sequel is going to be. Because what Nona Ryder's yeah. coming back, uh, Michael Keaton's coming back, and Jenna Ortega is coming to join the movie. I have I just had this weird feeling that it's going to become like a weird buddy movie with Michael Keaton and Jenna Ortega. Okay. I'm okay and with the funny that thing if it, it is. Yeah. I totally agree with you, Heather. I would be okay with that if if that's ultimately what it winds up being because I don't know how it could mirror (laughs) some of the stuff they had in this. It would have to be um, better than this. And the last thing I'll say is maybe at the time the special effects were cool, like whenever Beetlejuice turns into the snake and stuff like that. But man, the graphics are so dated now that you just sit there and look at it and I laughed, but not for the right reasons. I was just laughing because it just looks so fake now. Or whenever they were like, where were they? Where they were in front of a screen. And it was just so obvious. They were in front of a screen with things happening. What was Are you talking that? about when they go to Saturn? With the sandworms? Yes. Goes? Oh, my God. The Saturn and the sandworms. Yes. I was like, wow. If... If they are so not there, could be encapsulated in one scene. It was that one. <laughs> because, boy, that, that that looked a little rough. That looked a little rough around the edges. So, yeah, man, 
this is a movie where it's like, you know, you can see some endearing qualities. You know, it's kind of like that person. It's like, man, you look all right. But but man, if you just had a makeover, I I think you could do better. You know, that that's how I felt about this movie. This movie is like in serious need of a makeover. We need to do something with the hair. We need to put you in something a little different. We need to we need to see if we can <laughs> get some better shoes. Like this mug is just in need of a makeover. But if you put this, but you make this over, it'd be quite nice. You know. So you're saying this movie just needs to go take off its glasses and put and take its hair out <laughs> of a ponytail? Exactly. Exactly. We need some changes, dog. Just a few changes. Uh, Heather, what about you? Yeah, I think that you describing this movie as mid is, I mean, that's probably the most accurate way I would probably say to describe it as well. Like it's, it's okay. Um, I, I will, I'll say this aside from the actual creepy characterization of Beetlejuice in the movie, Michael Keaton is a national treasure and uh, so is Catherine O'Hara. And they are the two things in this movie that made this movie worth anything, if I'm honest. And I love Winona Ryder. No issues against her. She was fine, you know. But if we're talking about elevating this movie to being above just an okay movie in any parts of it, it was because of either of those other two performances, in my opinion. Um, I agree the the dancing scene around the table is I would I would argue the best scene of the movie because that's the only time I remember just actually getting a laugh and actually smiling at what was going on in the movie. Um, and it's also, I mean, there's a, maybe four total scenes from the movie that I remembered when I was a kid. And that's definitely the first one that comes to mind for me. So, I, and I'm glad to know that even watching it now, at least that scene was still delightful (laughs) i do still enjoy that scene of the movie this movie is one of those where i watched it a lot as a kid but have i watched it in my adult years i can't remember a time that i really have to be honest like i said we are the first people to watch this movie in 12 years (laughs) i mean i wouldn't be surprised but it's yeah so it's kind of like the things I remember about it or my any sort of, I guess, fondness that I have to the movie is probably just sort of tied to that nostalgia of being a kid, you know, child Heather, (laughs) child Heather loved Beetlejuice. But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, I think if you um, ever need an (laughs) argument why child Heather should not be your spirit animal, it's child Heather loved Beetlejuice. (laughs) But the thing is like, and that's an exaggeration because like I didn't, I wouldn't even say I loved the movie. I just saw it a lot. It was one of those movies that was on our VHS that was recorded, you know, when it comes on TV and you, you know, you record it, you have it. So it was just one that we had and it was just always kind of on here, there in my house. So I've just seen it a lot. I wouldn't even say like, Oh, I loved it as a kid. I just, I remember, I remember it being a regular thing that our family watched. And I think for that reason, is more why I remember, oh, yeah, Beetlejuice, of course. You know, I know that movie. But, um, and yeah, I, I think mean, I, every family, like, has those movies. Not yeah, to cut you off, but, yeah. like, just those ones on a kind of a loop. Like, 
and y'all would just watch them all the time. I bet if you think hard enough, there are probably some movies your family subjected you to all the time. (laughs) I have seen more John Travolta movies than any human ever should be. I've probably seen the movie Michael with John Travolta more than any human being alive outside of my mom because Mm. she constantly made us watch all of his movies. All of them. And and for me, it was my dad because he was addicted to Steven Seagal and John Claude Van Damme. So anytime, anything, time, cop, blood, sport, marked for death, uh, what is that one where he's on where uh, Seagal's a cook on a boat under siege? Like under any siege. of those, yeah. man. Like, man, oh, we used to watch those all the time. And now, like, oh, yeah. And, and dude, I, I probably still be watching those movies now because of all of that. But, you know, Steven Seagal is kind of a garbage person. So, right. Whoa, you know, whoa, whoa. They don't hit the whoa. same way they what used to. What are you to. talking about, Justin? Just because he's, you know, kidnapped a woman and imprisoned her in his basement. He was a fake cop on a TV show and brutalized people and killed a dog for no fucking reason other than they wanted to. And he's friends with the dictator and constantly goes over there and does all that shit. He's possibly sexually harassed a very young Catherine Heigl at the age of 15. What are you talking about? Controversy when it comes to Steven Seagal. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. my friends, is... 30 seconds to tell you that someone is a garbage person. <laughs> how um, many? This, so, yeah. Those, Beetlejuice <laughs> is just going to become the episode of how many sexual predators can Sterling bring up and however long this episode <laughs> ends up being. <laughs> See, Beetlejuice do better because then Sterling wouldn't have to bring up and vilify these sexual predators like you should. Also, um, to put it in perspective, Right about now is when Beetlejuice will be showing up in your movie. Yes. <laughs> if you're watching our podcast right now or listening to our podcast. Beetlejuice yes. has been on the street yes. for right five now. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Right. But uh, sorry to cut you off, Heather, but I kind of like where this went. Anyway, continue. No, that's time. fine. Well, no, because I mean, I actually very much same for me, like any sort of martial artist or martial arts movie that was happening uh, was always on at my dad's house. Always. Yeah. Uh, Seagal, Van Damme, um, also being, you know, Southern Texas at the time, uh, a bunch of Chuck Norris, um, oh, even yeah. like Bruce Chuck, Lee yep. movies, like you, all of them, all of them, like the whole works was that's, just always on. That's the one thing me and my grandmother disagreed with. I, there are so many shows <laughs> I grew up on because of my grandmother, murder. She wrote Perry Mason, diagnosis murder in the heat of the night law and order just name it i've i watched it because my grandmother she loved walker texas ranger i never got on board with walker never got on board with it yeah it's it's a choice it's a thing but it's you know it, it, it again yeah like growing up in a family that you know my dad was absolutely a fan of course, you're, you've seen all of the movies and all of the things. And and that's, it's funny, too, because I think about just the difference of 
the types of movies that were the ones I grew up with because of my mom versus my dad, (laughs) because my moms were more of like the either the dark comedies or like the the ones that had a little bit more substance to them. And then my dad was just like, yes, all of these fights, let's see them all. And like, it was very different, lots of very different forms of movies. But all that being said, yeah, it was just one of those VHSs we had just always in the house. It was just always kind of in the rotation somewhere. Or when we got actual cable TV, it was on there a lot too. So it was just kind of always something that you could see at any point in time. So I've I've seen it a lot. I didn't remember a lot of it because it's been since, you know, before I was an adult that I've seen that movie. So um, going back and, you know, rewatching it, there are things that, of course, at the time I didn't pick up on the way that I picked up on this time around. Like, you know, Beetlejuice being a creepy, rapey character. Um, (laughs) But... You know, also, though, what an entrance, though, for Beetlejuice, like just his entrance into the movie was kind of really, really good. I thought it was really well done how they entered him in in like this big, dramatic sort of extra way that they did. But um, yeah, yeah I don't know. I dig him up and all of that stuff. Yeah, like th- that <laughs> just, was pretty good. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. a good entrance. But I do think, yeah, if you take away the creepiness of his character and all of that and you know, you, you changed that, like the personality that Michael Keaton brings to the character of Beetlejuice was really well done. I mean, you can't see this movie and not just like be completely glued to being like, what is he about to say or do? Like he really just kind of, he, he had a presence about him when he was on screen, anytime he was on screen. Um, and again, I just, I do have to say it with Catherine O'Hara too. Like anytime, that she's on screen. You're just like, yep, this is the one I'm watching because, and she's like that in all of her movies, if I'm honest. And she's also very much that like kind of the best at playing that bad mom. (laughs) Like there's just so many movies where she's just this very disengaged mom or like very weird. uh, What is it? Not, basically not a standard mom um unconventional is the word i was looking for but she's very good at playing those roles like i love the movie orange county just because i think it's so funny and she is one of the reasons i love that movie her being the crazy alcoholic you know empty nest mom is just the best thing it's so funny and she's just she does have a way about her and you know sterling you're absolutely right she's just an icon with the comedy that she brings and it was so subtle here it wasn't even like she overboard did anything in this and like but there was just something about you know what she did bring to this that you're just like she's the most one of the most memorable characters in the entire movie um yeah she's she's i an icon she's great i love her so yeah it's one of those just with her real quick because i don't want you to move on past her there's this terrible movie that came out some years ago. Uh, why am I blanking on the name of the movie? It's got her. It's got James Gandolfini. It's got Ben Affleck. It's got Christina Applegate. Saving Christmas. Saving Christmas. I knew it had a Christmas in the name I could remember. It's weirdly enough one of the only Christmas movies I love. But 
so much of that has to do with her and her chemistry with James Gandolfini. I fucking love it. I love their characterizations in that movie. I love their chemistry together. You know, I love her chemistry with Christina Applegate. I love her chemistry with Ben Affleck in that movie. Like so much of my, I, I, I have this weird love for that movie and it solely hinges mainly around her and her chemistry with everyone in that movie. You know? Yeah. And like I said, it's a terrible movie. It is garbage, but I will watch that movie all the time. You could ask me once a week, Sterling, you want to watch Saving Christmas? I'll be like, yeah, sure. Let's watch Saving Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, Catherine Harris, she's delightful. And also, like, I'm a fan of uh, Schitt's Creek. I think that was a really good show. And for all of the amazing characters they have in that show, I mean, Moira, Catherine O'Hara, is just hands down my favorite. Like, she's just so hilarious in this very quirky, unique way that only she can do. So, yeah, that's just kind of what she brings to everything she does. And it just works every time. She is never the problem with any project she's done. I'll just say that much. But it's, yeah, I, um, aside from that, though, like this, I mean, this movie, it's it's a pretty dark movie. It's a pretty, like, the the premise of it and the idea of it. And it's, it's dark. But um, I guess I will say that the movie does have a way of making something that is very dark and sad, you know, and, you know, with death and the afterlife and all these things that those things in this movie at least are portrayed in a very dark way. It also brings an element of lightheartedness to it as well. Um, And I do think they did that piece of it well, you know, to kind of, you know, with these people who just, you know, they end up not being alive anymore and they just are so confused and don't know what to expect in the world anymore. And, you know, just the, the ghosts and the things that they encounter along the way that, uh, it's it's a it's an interesting adventure, and I, I think that they do a good job of bringing enough lightheartedness to it to where it's not just this absolute depressing dark movie about death and everything, but um, at, at the same time, like just the the whole feel and the whole vibe of the movie is supposed to be sort of that like you know dark, morbid type of of thing with it and. And I think the character of Lydia is very much embodies sort of the the kind of vibe you're supposed to get from this movie. You know, this kind of like goth, like kind of, you know, darkness to her, but also wants more. <laughs> she wants better. And, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know. It's just very it's a, it's definitely a unique movie. And I don't know. I feel like it's. <laughs> The, the the scenes I mostly remember are are the ones that would have been disturbing as a child. <laughs> so I feel like that's why I remember them, you know. But um, but yeah, picking up on the things like the way that Beetlejuice is with Lydia and his whole, you know, going to that house of women, you know. It's just things that as a kid, I'm like, what is that? I don't understand. What is this? Like, <laughs> you know, but um. Yeah, I just I I appreciate the performances that they did bring to it. And and I mean, even just like the the set designs and things like that, it it very much does take you into this world that they have. And that part of it is is good. Um, But again, like the jokes, 
they don't age well. <laughs> um, the just the story in general, like I, I we've at this stage seen that type of, you know, gloomy, like what is it like to be dead in the afterlife but still be in contact with people in the real world thing. We've seen it done better than at this point. You know, it, there's been other versions of that that I think are done better since this 1988 film, you know, not quite Beetlejuice, like because Beetlejuice is very much his own thing. But, you know, it's it's something where it, it doesn't age well to where it feels like this. It will always be relevant and always be an iconic classic movie for me. You know, it's just never really how I felt about that movie. But again, I mean, there's some fun things to take away from it without a doubt, but um, it's, you know, it's morbid and it's dark and you kind of have to be someone who appreciates and likes that type of humor and movie. I think to think of this movie as, you know, a great or an essential, if you will, (laughs) which, you know, we have a lot of people who clearly still hold a reverence for this film. And maybe that's why. I've never really been that person. I've never really been like Beetlejuice is up there for me as a great, but I think it has a certain appeal to people if they have like a specific style or type of movie that they like in that way. This was Tim Burton, right? So it makes sense that world that he creates with these types of things. Like, I mean, he's very good at doing that. I'll give him that. So, yeah. Yeah. And at the time, especially with Tim Burton, you know, that that was the thing that stood out about his movies. His movies just sort of had this dark, unique, twisted look to them. And some of the characters that he created, like, that's one thing that you can say about his films and, and a lot of the characters from his films. You remember them. Like, who doesn't Very know what Edward, what Edward Scissorhands looks like? I mean, that right. is a distinct-ass looking character. You know, the character design and everything like that. And even he's got a hint of that dark, kind of sad, tragic thing about him. And then you look at Beetlejuice and... The striped suit with the green hair and the, you know what I mean? I don't know. That that man just has a knack for coming up with these characters that were just, and, and they were just so different. At that time, the, those characters stood out to you because everything was so colorful. And, you know, if you were looking at Disney stuff, you're, you're you know, Mickey and Donald Duck are not, are not Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice. You know, if you look, those are two completely different sides of the spectrum. So I can understand being a kid or a young adult and being like, these are the cool characters. You know, I'm sure at that time it was edgy to like Beetlejuice more than, you know, the, the Care Bears or I like Edward Scissorhands more than, I like these colorful, super kiddish things over here. Yeah. So it felt more mature. It felt more cool. You know, you know, uh, Winona's character, Lydia, and this is like an emo kid. You know what I mean? And back then, that that stuff was 
all the rage. You know, this emo, dark goth stuff was kind of in. It was rebellious. And I think a lot of Tim Burton's movies and characters seemed that way. So he spoke to a generation. Yeah. It's in like that, that niche way. that he has. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's part of the appeal of all of this stuff. So when you look at Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice is not a traditional character in that, oh, I'm look, I'm just going to be a good guy or I'm going to change. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm bad at first, but really I have a heart of gold and I'm going to change at the end and be all endearing and stuff. You know, he just took some chances with some of his stuff. And maybe that's why he's remembered. I mean, Jack Skellington, you know, like when you think about these characters, they are nothing like the other side of that spectrum. So I think that that's just something that, and and people remember that, you know, how distinct they were and how cool it was to kind of gravitate to that stuff back then. And maybe that's why some of that stuff stands the test of time. It's not even always just the quality of the films, but maybe it's what they represented at that time and kind of what we were feeling at that time growing up. Yeah, you could be right because that's very distinctly like, you know, of a, of a certain generation are the people that are like ingrained with Beetlejuice, you know, there's Beetlejuice the movie, Beetlejuice toys, Beetlejuice the animated series, Beetlejuice this that like, you know what I mean? They they you know because it's of our era. There's now a Beetlejuice musical. You know, targeting people like us, like. So like there, maybe you're 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 onto something there. Is it's just it's tapped into the psyche of one generation, at just different points in their life. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's that point in your life where you were a little rebellious and you wanted something darker. You wanted something a little more, a little edgier. You wanted something not so squeaky clean. And that's what Tim Burton, that's what those movies, that's what his movies were. They were the alternative. So you remember it, you know? You you just remember that alternative stuff. Like ECW, like... When I go back and watch Extreme Championship Wrestling now, I'm like, do I want to say this or not? Okay, some of the wrestling, if you want to call it that, is not the best. But there will always be that endearing quality that it was this edgy, rebellious sort of chance-taking alternative to what you had over here. And for some people growing up, they remember that. You remember how energetic you felt when you were rebellious. You remember like how much different you wanted something. You remember that being what you gravitated towards. And you would just never forget that shit. You know what I'm saying? You just never forget that. Yeah, that's fair. Recommendations and scores? Sure. Yeah. Recommendations and scores. 
Uh, Heather, go. I mean, if you if you haven't seen Beetlejuice by now, I mean, I don't really think that you're somebody who necessarily wants to see it probably at this point. <laughs> and I don't think that it's one of those where you're, I, I don't necessarily think you're missing out on like an excellent film if you don't watch this. So I just say kind of watch it if it feels like it's your style of movie or anything like that. Um, you know what? I mean, it's, I guess it's always good to just do watch it at least once. If not for, if for nothing else for Michael Keaton and Catherine O'Hara, I guess you could really kind of say they would be worth the, watching this film, but I, I wouldn't fault anybody for being like, I'm going to pass. I don't know. That's kind of where I sit with this movie because it is very much a very kind of middle of the road kind of movie for me. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, I mean, watch it if if you want to, I guess. But I'm not I'm not recommending it because I think it's the best movie. But I do think that it is, you know, to be part of the conversation and to know, say that, you know what this is and all of that. Like, sure, watch it, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm honestly, I kind of just, I guess I just kind of have to go right, right down the middle here with this one. And, um, I'm going to give it, um, 50. I wish I had watched the Beetlejuice animated show out of a hundred. Justin, what about you? Yeah. And the funny thing is, is I can't be like, yeah, you should watch a few episodes of it now. Cause I imagine it's just probably really dumb now. Like I couldn't even tell you to like go and watch it. Cause I don't know if that it, it would necessarily help uh, matters, you know, that with the, with all of the stuff just being so dated. But uh, for this, I mean, is it bad enough for me to in good conscience say you shouldn't watch it. No, it's not that bad of a film. It's just not a great film. I think, I think that's what's dawned on me. Maybe there was a time where if you would have asked me, I would have been like, Oh yeah, Beetlejuice. That's a, that's a great film. That's one of Tim Burton's great ones. Now. I don't know. I mean, I might be like, Oh yeah, it was, you know, it it was all right today. But I don't have the same opinion of it that I used to have. But does that make it bad enough to recommend? I don't think so. I I don't think I can say uh, don't watch this. Um, But I, I would just say taper your expectations. I think that you would have to be a certain kind of person. Um not saying good or bad, but you, but you would have to have a certain kind of taste and you would have to have really had some love for this to, I think, appreciate it the exact same way you probably did as a child or growing up with this or something like that. I think that there would have to be a love here that forgives just a lot of the stuff that doesn't really hold up today you know so what you loved about this would have to override all of the the glaring just faults and flaws that you can just see clearly now that maybe we just couldn't see 
back then when we watched it. Uh, so, yeah, watch it if you want to. If anything, it is kind of a good history lesson on uh, how films were made today. What was it's an eye opener when you look at some of the comedy that was allowed back then. And what is a is this PG-13 or is this PG? I think it's this, PG-13. This is 13. Right? Some, they were cussing. Because. Yeah, they were well, cussing. You, you got to realize that PG-13 didn't come into play until like. 1985 or 1986. Okay. Because there are two movies that caused that. It was uh, Gremlins and Ghostbusters. Those movies weren't quite PG. (laughs) Yeah. But they weren't rated R. You know, it's because it used to be like, Uh. I think it used to be like, I don't remember when G came into play, but it was like, yeah, I think it was G, P, G, R, X. Used to be it. And it's like, that's a weird jump between PG, at least from nowadays standards. It's a weird jump from PG to R. Yeah. You know, there's no middle ground. And that's where they ended up adding PG-13. So, yes, this was a PG-13 movie. Speaking of that, I don't think my parents ever cared about the gap between PG and PG-13. I don't think they gave a shit about that. My parents didn't when, give a when fuck it about jumped to R, PG to R. I mean. Really? Yeah. So they didn't even care about R. No. It depends on the R. If the R was violence, yes. we don't care. If the R is sex, we care yes. so much about it. You, um, you are correct on that. <laughs> I can watch a movie where people are getting decapitated, slaughtered, eviscerated, all this other stuff. But... A raunchy teen sex comedy? No. Yeah. I could watch Pulp Fiction. I could not watch American Pie. Yep. That, that's how it works. That's how it works. But that PG to PG-13 gap, I am trying to remember. Do I remember any scenario for any kid where they were like, oh, it's PG-13? I don't think you can see that, you know? I only want you watching PG movies or I don't want, I don't, I don't ever remember a moment where that gap made a difference. That, that gap right there. So that's interesting. I don't know. It's just dawning on me now. I mean, I remember that like, not for this movie specifically, but just the only time ever that PG 13 mattered was if we were watching a movie in school, um, and it was more of like, oh, is it is it age appropriate? And I think it was so borderline with the movie Men in Black when it came out because it was PG-13 and we were like just uh. under the age of it. So it was kind of like they were debating if it was OK for us to watch. And yeah, that's the only time it which, ever really mattered. Which is funny because there is an old like 1960s, I believe, version of Romeo and Juliet. Mm hmm. Yeah. And. There is a scene where Juliet is topless for just like a second. And that movie's rated PG. Mm, interesting. So we, I didn't know that. we watched that in my freshman English class. My teacher made a big, you know, hoopla about it. Like, oh, if anybody acts up when during this scene, you know, you're going to the office, all this blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah, but we could show that in the school because it was rated PG. Because like I said, back then, 
they had no distinction. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. Just just an interesting thought I had. Just wondered. No, that's a good point, though. For you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. If you want to see it, go ahead. I'm not going to tell you not to see no Beetlejuice. Uh, but it ain't hitting like it was hitting when I was a kid. I'll say that much. Uh, we'll go with, I don't know. I'm feeling generous. You know, Beetlejuice, the comedian's alive. So <laughs> we'll go, we'll go 60. Um, I'm so glad we moved past the point where it's an endearing trait to want to marry 15 and 16 year olds when you're a <laughs> grown ass ghoul monster adult out of a hundred. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, don't watch this movie. I'm going to tell you, don't watch this movie. I know Jason's like, no, I'm not going to tell you that I will. Don't watch this movie. Unless the comedian Beetlejuice is alive. Yeah, and he's not in this movie. If he was in this movie, sure. But he's not in this movie. Uh, I will give a caveat that though to that, though. Um, if you are just curious if we are correct or not, and want to see, want to see if it holds up, want to see if you could prove us wrong and go, nah. But that shit holds up. I challenge you then to watch Beetlejuice because it fucking doesn't. I want you to sit there and watch this movie going, man, I can't wait to jump in the comments and go, oh, it slaps, still hits, holds up. Because you know damn well in good conscience after watching this movie again, you can't say that. You can't even force your body to lie and say it does. That's how much this movie doesn't hold up. And also, once again, just despite Justin, I'm going to give it a 40. Catherine O'Hara can be my mom any day. Fuck you, Lydia. Catherine <laughs> O'Hara can be my mom. Out of 100. Damn. I did that I mean, I, so distinctly just so I can make that our score of a 50. Nice. What were you going to say? Mid? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Well, I'll, I'll come back to it when I remember my full thought. That's fair. This movie lost its train of thought too. I get it. You're just keeping on theme with the episode. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Spoilers. I don't know sure. how the fuck we're going to spoil a movie know, that's 25 like, years old or yeah. whatever the fuck it is. And I also feel like we were already sort of talking about a lot yeah. of it anyway. Yeah, 35. I feel like we already kind of, yeah. <laughs> this movie's 35 years old, not 25. I can't do math. Spoilers. <laughs> As soon as I, like, I heard you guys say, like, what are we going to spoil? All this shit. I was like, nah, we could spoil some shit. And then I hit the button. 
knowing it's my turn to talk. Yeah, what the fuck are we going to spoil? This movie's 35 years old. Do we need a spoiler alert for this movie? <laughs> nah. That's why I was kind of nah. fine with us talking about specific things before this. Because it's like, I mean, how old is this movie now? And, uh, yeah. And I think, you. <laughs> I think it's the age of the movie, too. I Yeah, we were going full spoilers the whole movie because it's 35 years old. I yeah. do remember what I was going to say, though. So what I was <laughs> what I was going to say was... Um, knowing that this was like an essential movies that was sort of voted for um, a while back from Cinefans, I am curious like how more, how recently other people have seen this movie that were a big fan of this movie. I'm I, just to kind of a throw out there. So anybody listening, if you want to chime in, like when was the last time you saw this movie? If this was an essential movie for you. And that's fair. And I'm glad you brought that up, Heather, because I meant to say that earlier, that we are doing Beetlejuice, not because, you know, out of the goodness of our hearts, we just want to go watch this fucking movie. This was on the, the Cinefan Essentials list. I, I referenced it, but I never, I didn't specifically say that that's why we are doing this episode. Uh, because, yes, we did put it on to, a, to a, a, a poll for the fans to vote on, and this was the one that won it. But that was also on that poll because it's it was the next movie in the list of essentials that we were doing during the pandemic that we were able to transition back to movies again when stuff was just going straight to streaming. And we really never went yeah. back. So this was our way of just going back to that. Uh, but yes, thank you for bringing that up because that is why we did this. We did it for you guys. That's what we're saying. And I feel like personally... On a very personal note, everybody that said that Beetlejuice was one of their essential movies, I think did so to personally attack me. I don't think that they <laughs> actually meant that. I think that they went, fuck Sterling, Beetlejuice. Because they knew my ass was going <laughs> to have to go buy the movie. <laughs> What the fuck Man. was this movie? Well, I, I, I've i got a spoiler. Uh, something else to bring up, I guess, real quick. Why the fuck is the, like, the book of recently deceased people manual? Why is that something, like, why is that a physical fucking book? Why is that something that anybody can go fucking pick up? Why is it not a ghost book? Yeah, I don't know. No, that's a good point. <laughs> also, why does that manual have spells to bring like to exercise ghosts in it. It has spells to get yourself doomed to the room of lost souls in the manual. That's like getting That's a, a car point. manual. And it also tells you what, you know, what explosives work with the best when you stick them in the fuel tank. Why? Also, a note that uh, this isn't necessarily a knock against this film, but I think it's a knock with how well this film ages. The character of Otho. 
was obviously written using gay stereotypes and gay coding and and, 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 and those types of things whilst also not being a gay character. They want to hint at it. They want to do all this stuff, but they don't actually want to make the character gay. And when you're watching, and I, I, I get that that was like standard practice back then. But it's one of the, the things that we were talking about that dates this movie. You've got gay coding, you've got all this stuff, but they can't actually say the character is gay. Because you couldn't do that in movies in 1988. You know, not wide release, big, you know, mainstream type of releases and stuff like that. They weren't doing that. And it's one of those things when you watch this movie now, you 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 go, oh, if this was made today, that's a gay character. This movie also might be knocked for just making a gay stereotype character. You know, it's not that, oh, it's a gay character. It's also just a gay stereotype. But it's like double weird that, yeah, it would be knocked for having a gay stereotype character, but then it's also, they can't even say that. So it's like a weird double aging of this film when it comes to that character, which isn't a bad character, though. I like that he's like, oh, I was the leading paranormal researcher in 1972 or or before the bottom fell out in 1972. I, I, I kind of thought some of the things were, was funny. I, I, I liked the joke with him. and uh, Well, I like I liked the chemistry with Catherine O'Hara and him. Because, you know, yeah. everyone has chemistry with Catherine O'Hara. This uh, is true. I like how he vibed to the dance. He was vibing in that. He was cool. Yeah. He probably had the second most energy with it. I was thinking her. that too. Yeah. But I really liked that scene when they're walking around the house. And she just spray paints mauve on the wall. And he's like, uh, you know, says something to the effect of like, oh, you're inside my head. Or this is why I like working with you. You can think like me. You know. And then he does that other scene where he says some type of green blue. And he's like, oh, it's this is the chemical formula. I used to be a chemist. Those were some actually somewhat solid jokes. I liked those things. But once again, though, it goes back to what we were saying. That's at the introduction part of those characters. So that that's what they are the most interesting. And then they went, we're going to give you this for another 30 minutes before we do another damn thing in this movie. That's all I got for spoilers. <laughs> the, the things I forgot to mention earlier. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think for me too, like the the biggest thing for me that always was so interesting and confusing is at the very end of this when <laughs> when um you know they they've reconciled or whatever and they're, they're all good and then Lydia's essentially like just friends with these ghosts now and they've helped her study and all this stuff. It's just funny to me that like there was no lesson to the parents of like, oh, we should, you know, pay more attention to our daughter and spend more time with her. <laughs> the ending of this is just like, oh, cool. She's hanging out with them. She must have passed her test. 
And then they're just down there doing their own thing. And like, just, there was no lesson of like, no, you don't need like, you know, you come and like, let us pay more attention to our own child. But I just thought that was funny. And I kind of get it. It makes sense for the storyline of the, of Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, because, you know, they wanted a family. And so it makes sense that they're kind of connected in that way. But it was just the, the nonchalantness of the parents still just like not really learning any sort of lesson with anything. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny. I don't know. No, that's fair. Cause like you said, they don't learn that lesson and it just becomes like a, Oh great. We've got ghost nannies. Yeah, exactly. It's like now we can, it's fine. And she's basically accepted. This is what we are. And, but at least she's not alone, even though we don't want to change kind of thing. Yeah. Well, like I, it was just, there's, there's a weird line of dialogue in this movie where the dad's like, Oh, I don't know about this. Like, is this really a place where we should like raise our kid? Like, is this where I should like bring my daughter to like, is this what's best for her? No, you just took this kid to random fuck town, Connecticut. That's obviously the wrong move. Obviously. But then also at the end of the movie, she's going to an all girls school that has like no less than like 70 girls in that all girls school. That town had like 40 people in it. How the fuck are there 70 kids, enough kids to have an all girls school and all boys school? (laughs) These are the things I think of when your movie is not interesting. That's fair. shortest spoiler section ever you guys got anything else (laughs) i'm trying to think i think i I think typically when we did these in the past we didn't do like non-spoiler spoiler spoiler. we did like recommendations and scores and then just talked the movie yeah because they're all old movies they're all you know they're yeah i think that that's why we got fucked on this a little we were we were so used to doing our old way that we tried yeah. to apply it to a movie that's 35 years old and went, <laughs> this don't work. What are we doing? I mean, it's basically an extended version of when you say, is there anything else you guys want to talk about with it? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it ended up being. Yeah. Instead of spoilers, it should have been just, hey, anything else? Yeah. Any other notes? Yeah. I, I mean, that's all I could think of. I just always... I just always found that so funny that there was just like no real growth or lessons learned from the parents for the whole thing. And like, yeah, it was, it was just funny. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say about it is just that, that I forget what it was called, but the purgatory or whatever it was with the Juno character, they just called it the afterlife. Okay. And you had characters sitting there in the waiting room. And then at one point it was football players and they're not doing what Juno's telling them. And then she's like, the coach, they're like, where's coach? And then she went, the coach survived. You know, I I, I got a kick out of that character sometimes. I thought that some of that stuff was kind of funny, though. I didn't understand the point of her. It was weird how these people are being registered, but then she was like, you guys need to get rid of those humans or it could mess up something. Or if they do some ritual, everything's going to go to hell. And I'm like, 
why don't you help them? I mean, if it's that pivotal, you don't have the jurisdiction to do something or regulate this in some kind of way. Like you seem to know everything. How are you not regulating what is happening? That just was weird. It was very strange where that character was positioned. Well, and then also like, why does it seem like other new people when they go there, like they go there right when they die, but the Maitlands didn't. Yeah, they had to find it. And I mean, did did, it, did everybody else who died just wake up next to the book and start reading it? And they didn't. They were skimming and stuff. And so they didn't know. And does the book well, tell you you need where to go? And is there a map or something like it was weird or no, it was it was directions. You got to make the door and all that good stuff and knock three. times. So maybe they just. Yeah, and knocked three times. So maybe they just were slow learners? I don't well, know. There's that, but the, <laughs> why did the football players just show up there and not even know they're dead? Because they didn't even have a handbook yet. You know, they're there when, oh, when they freshly died. Right. And then one of the intercom announcements when they're in there even says new arrivals. Like, you know. They're right. So, so how did they Why know? is there some yeah. new arrivals that go there, but some new arrivals don't? Like... And, you know, yeah. but it also there is supposed to be a, a huge amount of lore in there because like there's that joke that Otho makes that like, oh, if you commit suicide, you become a civil servant in the afterlife. And that's if you notice all the people that were the civil servants like Juno and stuff like that, they were all suicides. Yeah. And so there is some sure lore to it. You know, there's even something there's one scene when they're in Juno's office and there's like a window open and there's just people watching. You know, so it's like certain spirits then become spectators and all this other stuff. And it's like that thing. So there's like a weird amount of lore to the afterlife that also might just be shit they did that other people came up with explanations for. And they're like, oh, we're going to run with that. Like, I would actually be interested if that's what maybe that that's another thing that might make Beetlejuice 2 more interesting. That they go more into the lore of what the afterlife yeah. is, what the sandworms are. Why, when you go out of your area, you go to Saturn, you know, a yeah. gaseous planet that randomly is actually just sun or sand and has a bunch of worms on it. Like, you know, things like that, like that would be interesting if they delve more into that. And also, yeah, apparently what the, why is anybody scared of the sandworms? Apparently if you get eaten with a sandworm, you just end up in the lobby of that other place and I guess go back to wherever the <laughs> fuck you were. Like, Right. Yeah, that's true. Same world starts Yeah. I mean, and and the thing is too, just talking about that reminded me, like, I do I do like the the scene like with the receptionist sort of explaining like death looks different for everybody. I, I did kind of like that. I thought that was kind of like a an interesting sort of like more profound thing that they said in this movie, because it is true. But then it was followed by that very morbid joke that she made where she's also sort of like talking about how she cut her own wrists. So I'm like, what? And that's definitely something I did not catch when I was younger, that that was the thing that was happening. So, yeah, it was it was a very like morbid and like shock factor thing to see because I didn't remember that at all. But. But no, I just thought that was interesting and like, yeah, just this movie has some choices that it made for sure. But I mean, I guess with the dark 
the dark humor and the darkness of what this movie is and her talking about, you know, this is what death is for people and like her job being what it is. I guess it makes sense that she would kind of make jokes about it. <laughs> She's like, otherwise, if it was different, I wouldn't have done this, you know, and you're just like, oh, that's heavy. <laughs> that's very heavy. But OK, I guess I guess we can roll with it. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I'm done. The end. I'm Same. done. I'm tapping. Yeah. I'm, me too. No cap. Done. I just feel like you've been watching a lot of TikTok or something lately, Justin. <laughs> Maybe I have. I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, you're talking about Metallica hidden. Very weird. <laughs> I just think you don't like that he said anything good about Metallica. <laughs> I, I don't I think, think anybody has ever described Metallica as hidden. It. it was hidden, man. It was hidden, though. You can't. Even, they didn't, you like? They played no songs from oh, Same Anger. You can't even say that. It's impossible. It's, it's factually incorrect. Heather, come on. Tell me, as a child, I'm sure you liked Metallica. I bet, as a <laughs> child, her favorite album was Same Anger. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't, man. Child Heather's cold. She'd sit there eating chicken sticks, listening to Saint Anger. No. She's on methane If I was like, come on, child Heather, everybody else is getting a burger. Why did you buy those chicken sticks? She's like, Putting her headphones in, or what was it? A, a, a boom box? I don't know. No, a Walkman. Been headphones. A Walkman. <laughs> putting her Walkman in, you know, banging on some. That's when. The, that's you know. actually when they started calling me Child Heather because they're just like she's just <laughs> she's out there. Something different about her. <laughs> yeah. It was also Man, weird because she was seventeen at the time. Right. Yes. <laughs> Man, Child Heather needs a movie. <laughs> Yes. I like the idea of child Heather, like having a bunch of stuff that's actually not from the time frame of when she was a child. Like, I don't think chicken fries were out when she was a child. I don't think Saint. Well, I know Saint Anger wasn't out when she was a child. So I just like the idea that like everything is just slightly out of place with it. Child Heather just doing TikToks, you know, and like all this stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. like, you're doing them with, like, a flip phone? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yes. Yeah. Like, what are Just you doing? I'm filming my myself dancing. Why? It's going to be all the rage. Child Heather was ahead of her time, you know? That's why she's cool. Yeah. But she has to wait a long time because she's still on America Online and, you know. <laughs> I still got that dial-up modem. <laughs> yep, you got that dial-up motor, man. You can't TikTok like everybody else. You know, yours take time. It'd be even funnier if she was doing dial-up on her cell phone. Like, so her cell phone just sits there <laughs> making all the weird noises. Like, it's right. dialing in. It's a very distorted reality. I love it. Yeah. Child Heather's tight. Uh, and also, on that note... 
Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers Podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com, Cinema Slayers Podcast on Facebook, Cinema underscore Slayers on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads, Cinema Slayers, or at Cinema Slayers Pod on TikTok, at Cinema Slayers Pod on YouTube. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. We'd really, it would really help us out. Shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Cho for our theme song and logos, respectively. Uh, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends' family, tell your family's friends. And most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers because dear sweet mothers love. Without hesitation, Catherine O'Hara. Fuck yeah, they do. Yeah. Just remember here <laughs> at the Simba Slayers podcast, you are both, we are both pro-slut and pro-Sydney. Also remember, you are Knuff. Also remember, Burger King is not. And we have factual evidence that Burger King is not. Because if you remember, at the end of the Blue Beetle episode, we brought a challenge to Justin to, if he, all he had to do was agree to it, just to say, hey guys, it's a BK night, and we would eat Burger King in the intro of this podcast. And notice how we did not eat a single morsel of the King's food when we were recording the intro. Because Justin is not a true fan of Burger King. Because that does not exist. I promise. Sometime in the time of AD, we will do this. It'll get done. Justin, I I might be dead by then. (laughs) I'll come to the afterlife with the the Burger King for you. Tell Juno what's up, you know. I'm just get saying, the, the I, I know I've been eating healthy and working out lately. I'm, you know, getting better health and all this other stuff. I did a lot of shit to my body, though, Justin. I'm just more or less putting a fresh coat of paint on some fucking rust. <laughs> <laughs> I remember so Justin's I to- just disbelief at your bagel consumption a few years ago. <laughs> You've come such a long way. I'm so proud of you for that. Like, I mean, you were a 15th bagel man, which <laughs> sounds like something it was somebody three. makes up. It was three bagels. Thank you. <laughs> 15 <Uh-oh>. bagel man. <laughs> <laughs> it was 15. Are you sure it was just three? Yeah. Maybe it, it was just, just per, is it 15 a week? Maybe It was 15 a week. Know. Yeah. 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 Maybe that's what you're thinking of. Yeah. Dude, don't give him credit like he was remembering that. That motherfucker just said a number. <laughs> You're right. I don't know. Child Heather was just in her in her in his business, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but you were the 15 man, and that sounds like just somebody asking for death. But now, <laughs> look, you've turned it all around. Dude, you jumping rope? I ain't heard nothing about a bagel. I ain't heard nothing about it. Oh, wait till I now get I'm on maintenance calories, motherfucker. They make some <laughs> low-calorie bagels. I'm going to eat so many of them. <laughs> oh, they have low-calorie ones? Yeah. Oh, man. There's like only 150 calories some, a bagel. Oh, and you could get some healthy syrup or get some healthy butter or get some healthy. You could toast so it up a little bit. They, uh, you, You'll appreciate this, Justin. Uh, last Friday, not this Friday, but... No, it wasn't this Friday. It was last Saturday for dinner. Uh, I ate an entire box of frozen Kodiak pancakes with some sugar-free maple syrup. 
Nice. And a couple spritzes yeah, of can't believe it's not butter spray. Nice. But yeah, my dinner consisted like of an entire box of those. I ate 12 fucking pancakes. Had to, Sounds like a good day at the office to me. Had to hit those protein <laughs> goals. Got to, got to. When I discovered Naked Tenders at Raisin Cane's, boy, I was, I was a fiend. She was like, you want how many? I was like, I want this many because I can eat them all. On my diet. A couple of weeks ago, I did I, I did a similar thing, but at Popeyes, I got their blackened chicken tenders. Oh, so yeah. I ordered two meals of that, uh, and I just didn't. Uh, I gave away the fries and the biscuits, and I ate ten just blackened chicken strips. And Channeling then I, your inner Ron Swanson's. And then I cooked uh, some broccoli. I did a little steamer bag of broccoli and cheese and some rice with that. Nice. Yeah. It, it was like my, those eight, those eight naked strips were just my appetizer. You know, that was like the appetizer. Then I got home and ate something healthy. But yeah, dude, like, yeah, you're right. We were Ron Swansoning, weren't we? Just. Give me all the bacon and eggs. Eight. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, I got to. One day I'm going to do that. One day I want to go and eat all the bacon and eggs. There needs to be an actual place themed for him that serves you that. Like, it's stupid ever since I started eating healthy because, like, now when I go to a restaurant, like, the the thing is, is, like, the whole eating healthy thing, I don't eat less food. I actually now eat more food. It's just better food, you know? I eat a pound of fruit every day, you know? Uh, one meal I do is like an entire pound of ground beef, chicken, or turkey, uh, with like broccoli or vegetables and rice. Like, you know, in that meal I waited out is a two pound meal after being cooked. It's two pounds of food and I'll eat that for dinner, you know? Uh, but it's just better shit. Cause it's, it's just ground beef. It's and it. It's like with just barely any oil in it. It's lean, it's like lean meat, vegetables, and just like white rice, you know? So it's, like all, you know, relatively healthy food and, but I'll eat all that shit. So like when I go to a regular restaurant now, I typically have to order two meals to be somewhat satisfied and I Mm. eat all of it. Like no, no food goes to waste around me. Like I will eat all of it. You know, I still figure out a way to make it fit within my calorie and protein goals and all this other stuff. But like, yeah, I'll go and I'm like, Oh, like your grilled chicken, with vegetables, bring me two of those. I'm like, fuck, this is dumb sometimes. But yeah, no, I get it. Like, yeah, with your whole like, oh, that was my appetizer. Yeah, I've done that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, let me start with the, you know, grilled chicken tacos before I eat my, you know, chicken breast and, and you know, and like meal also. Let me just start with this other meal real quick. Yep. That's how it works. That is exactly how it works. And it's the best. That's the only way to keep yourself off the 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 the, the diet the the non-diet stuff. Though I'm not gonna lie, I had I tried that Dr. Pepper ice cream. You know, that was my little treat to myself. 
And uh, like Metallica, it was hidden, boy. That Dr. Pepper ice cream ain't a joke, bruh. Especially if you're if you're a doctor. Well, if you're a Dr. Pepper person, it's it's heaven in an ice cream container. But if you don't like Dr. Pepper, like if you're one of those, I don't know, really horrible people in society that don't like Dr. Pepper, then maybe you wouldn't like it. But who wants to be one of those people? Let me know when they come out with the better ice cream. You know, that Mr. Pib ice cream. And I'll oh, eat that. Oh, Pib. You're a Pibber. I am. I, I, do, I weirdly do. Pibber. I do like Mr. Pib more than I do Dr. Pepper. Um, I will say this, though. Diet Dr. Pepper is by far probably the best diet uh, soda out there. Because mm. that shit tastes just like Dr. Pepper. Like, they, 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 they crack the code. It tastes just as good. And the Dr. Zero's all right, too. That strawberry and cream, Dr. Pepper, though, ain't bad either, bruh. It ain't bad either, bruh. I have a weird aversion to cream-flavored sodas. Mm, don't like the cream? No. no I'll, I'll take all the cream. But I, I might, like yeah. I said, when they come out with that Mr. Pib ice cream... Actually, it'd probably be a Mr. Pip frozen yogurt because it's just gonna be a little different, you know. Because it it didn't it didn't go to graduate school. <laughs> but you know, what is I'm, happening I'm, in this conversation now? But 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 I'm of the working class. I'm not an elitist. My my <laughs> my soft drinks are blue collared. <laughs> hmm. Sure. Yeah. Just to play Mister. I don't know anything about that. I'll be on that doctor, bro. I'll be on that doctor, mister. bro. He's like, if my soda didn't go to fucking medical school, I don't want it. I don't want it. I will send it back. <laughs> I will send it back. This needs to go to school for six more years before it will taste like I want it to. Exactly. Yeah. What are your credentials? I don't see anything on the walls. I don't see any plaques. <laughs> what are we doing here? Where's my soda? Now I kind of just like, want hey, you to go in. You put go in ahead. a good 40 hours at your job this week. Congrats. Let's celebrate that. Of the people. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. What were we saying, Heather? <laughs> I was saying I think it would be funny for Jason to like go into a place and like actually pretend like he thinks like real doctors are like what Dr. Pepper is. <laughs> just be like, this isn't, <laughs> what is this? What is this guy? It just confuse everybody as far as his demands for his, his beverage. You should order Dr. Pepper, then take a sip of it and go, excuse me. Can I see his college transcript? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you they take another little sip. I don't believe this is a doctor. <laughs> yeah. I don't. This doesn't taste like a doctor to me. This tastes like pepper, maybe. <laughs> this is no, I, I'm no P- there's no PhD no here. Yeah, there's no PhD. I'm going to need you to go back there and get me a real doctor. You should, you should make the joke like, are you sure that this one isn't just a dentist? I know a lot of dentists like to say they're doctors, but come on. They went to dental school. Yeah. 
Right. And as always in these podcasts, TikToks, and YouTube videos, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. This one was chaotic because I feel like our post-music outro conversation is what we just did. We just moved everything up in the the episode pretty much. We didn't have any spoilers. <laughs> this was all over the place. Did you guys? <laughs> I kind of love it though. Fun, though. Did you guys yeah. forget that we hadn't actually ended the episode? Maybe for a quick second. <laughs> I was keeping track. But then, but then I was also like, okay, so maybe it's just one of those where did we actually end everything? And like, this is our post talk, like we do, and it was not the case. Oh, it became that. <laughs> But I was like, we had not officially yeah. done an outro. I was waiting. <laughs> yeah, we we chopped it up here. <laughs> yeah. Might as well. That was infinitely more interesting than the fucking movie. It's true. Yeah. I'll give you that. All right, I'm out.